If you did bring a Bible, great. Please turn to page 553 or Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And this is the search for significance. Um, I'm going to recap, then we're going to pray and have a look at this this, uh, part 2 section of Ecclesiastes, the search for significance. This is the story of a man who had an income in today's terms of around about uh, $1.2 million a week. And he says in this account of his life, which is his account of having immense wealth, immense power, as we'll see in a moment, and yet he he found that his life was empty. And this is his story of how none of these things fulfilled him. None of these things satisfied him. None of these things gave him a sense that my life counts, my life is worth it. I understand the equation. I understand what life is all about. And we call that a sense of significance. You, you can look at your life and say, I'm making a positive, valuable contribution I'm going to leave a legacy. I'm going to leave something behind. My life will have been worth it. And so Ecclesiastes, if you're essentially uninitiated with the Bible, Ecclesiastes is going to be a difficult book for you to understand because it's, you have to understand this concept of perspective. Perspective. There's a movie that came out a few years ago incredibly clever movie it's called vantage point if you haven't seen it it's worth seeing the movie just so the next time i mention it you know what i'm talking about that's all it's about the assassination of the u.s president or so we are led to believe and what actually happens is you you see what you think has happened from a vantage point and then when you've, you've, you go, got it, then what the, the, the director does is he rewinds. It actually looks like the whole thing's rewinding and they roll it again. But this time you're looking at exactly the same thing from someone else's perspective. And what you thought you saw the first time you saw it, you realise was completely not what happened. And you go, oh, now I've got it. Then when he's done that, he rewinds it again and shows you from another person's perspective and you realise the first two perspectives you had was not the whole picture at all. In fact, if that was the only picture you had, you didn't really understand what was going on. And this happened some five times and by the end of it, you realise that what you thought had happened hadn't actually happened. What you thought you saw, you didn't actually see. What you thought was happening wasn't actually happening and the people you thought were the baddies... We're the goodies. <laughs> and the whole perspective changes. And so it's really important to understand that when we're reading certain passages in the Bible, we're actually reading sometimes from someone's perspective. For example, if I said to you the Bible contains lies, you could t- walk out, you could Instagram, Twitter that right now and get me in a lot of trouble. You could take me right out of context. 
But if I said to you, when Satan came to Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, the day you eat of this tree, you will become like God. Is that a lie? And it's in the Bible. Can you see what I mean by perspective? When the Bible opens up within the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What perspective have we got? We've got the perspective of God. There he is, the all-sufficient one who needs no one and needs nothing. And he created a realm, heaven, the spiritual realm. And he created another realm called the physical realm, which includes earth. Earth becomes the catch-all word for the physical universe. That's from God's perspective. And then the next verse says, And the Spirit of God hovered, or the earth was formless and void. Now what perspective have we got? We're not out with God. We're now on planet Earth. It's a different perspective. The earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the earth. It says that there was no light to light the day. And there was no no way of telling day and night. And the perspective is from Earth with all the gases and everything that's happening. The atmosphere was so thick that nothing could have survived, nothing could have lived there, and it looked like there was no sun, there was no moon. It looked like it. That was the perspective. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says things like this. It talks about the sunrise and the sunset. The sun goes up and the sun goes down. Here's the question. Does the sun go up and does the sun go down? No, it doesn't. But from someone's perspective, which the Bible accurately records, it looks like that. Does this make sense? When Solomon was earning this phenomenal amount of money, and he had, by his own admission, made love to over a thousand women, he says, there is absolutely no point to life. And he says it in verse 2 of chapter 1. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, there is just no point to this. I have tried to find a point to life. I have earned phenomenal money. I have made love to an inexhaustible number of women. And I find no satisfaction in any of it. And he goes on and talks in Ecclesiastes of all the things that he did and could find no joy in it. So, when you understand that most of Ecclesiastes, apart from the last few verses, is from the perspective of a man whose whose perspective on reality is greatly distorted. We need to understand that. So this is the search for significance. And we're going to look at one of the aspects of Solomon, and that is fame. Here's my question. There it is. There it is on the screen. Would you like to be famous? Could I just see a show of hands? Who would like to be famous? Thank you, Anastasia. The only honest person in the room. All right. I'm going to close my eyes. Uh, I see that hand. And, and, and I'm not going to look. Who wants to be famous? All right, we've got two honest people in the building this morning. I know my daughter wants to be famous. She told me so not that long ago before we even came out here. So at least three. 
but we've got two honest ones in my daughter. So, we've got people... We, who wants to be famous? Who, well, the, the answer to that question is a whole lot of people, apparently. A whole lot of people. So, here's the question. Who is the most famous person in the world today? Who's the most famous person in the world today? How would we figure that out? As I was... You? Oh, you know. All right. Well, thank you. I always soundboard my messages off Kim and she goes, you can't say that. Don't you dare say that on a Sunday. No, that's, it makes sense in your head, but as you say it, it doesn't come out at all. Anyway, I was, I was thinking through this and preparing for this message and, and I went to get the mail at the post office and right out the front of the post office was a was a magazine ad, you know, like put them in the wire grid things right out there. I did not even know, maybe it's because I'm now thinking in terms, in preparation for this message, but I didn't even know there's a magazine called Famous. Does anyone get the magazine called Famous? High quality magazine it is too. <laughs> On the front cover, all these celebrities with cellulite wear We've all got cellulite, but apparently if you're a celebrity, you're not allowed to have cellulite. There's one poor unfortunate girl, I don't know, birth defect. She was born with yellow star birthmarks um, right about there. Anyway, um, and this, this magazine <laughs> apparently is exploring the lives of famous people. I guess if you had yellow-shaped star birthmarks protruding from your chest, you'd be famous for all the wrong reasons. Anyway, so there's apparently there's enough people who are interested in famous people for the whole industry of what's called the paparazzi to exist. Who is the most famous person in the world today? According to Forbes magazine, which is a, a mag that normally is an investment financial magazine, they said this person. Who is this person? Beyonce who? There's a whole bunch of people who actually know who this is and they're not prepared to say because it's Beyonce Knowles. And she, she is the most famous person in the world today, as in at, at the moment. Not of all time, but at the moment. Now, here's, here's why Forbes say she's, she's interesting as a, a famous person. Last year, 2014... She earned, last year, $115 million. Hmm. She's 33 years of age. She's a singer. She lives in New York. She's married. She has one child. She um, was the number one celebrity of the top 100 celebrities of the world. She is the number two money earner of all celebrities. She's number four for appearing in the media. I don't know. I, some, obviously, there are people who measure this. She's the number six most tweeted about person on Twitter, which I'm pretty upset about myself. <laughs> um, and she's considered to be the 17th most powerful woman in the world. Now, that's Beyonce Knowles. This is a quote from Sam Eastland who wrote a book about fame. In fact, what I've discovered is that there's a whole 
field of psychology now that specialises in exploring fame. And there's actually, I, I'm, I'm going to coin a term today, there's, a, there's a, a fame personality disorder. You heard it first here. But I can back this up in a moment when I show you some of the things that people have done to be famous. And he's written a book about this, People's Search for Fame. Sam Eastland says this, Some people thirst for fame. They will do anything to have it. They will betray anyone. They will humiliate themselves and those around them. To be hated or loved makes no difference to them. What they want is to be known. It is a sad addiction and such people wallow in it all their lives like pigs in filth. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty strong statement. He goes on to say this, In today's world, fame is not merely seen as a byproduct or as a consequence of achieving something. Fame is pursued directly as a goal in and of itself. That is, today there are people who are famous because they are famous. They haven't actually done anything. With there being numerous examples of people who place fame as the ultimate achievement in life and above anything else, it might seem that fame is what one is on the planet to attain. In other words, some people think that if they can be famous, they will become significant. Their life will have meaning. In the past, one typically became famous through what they'd given to the world. And although this might not have always been something that benefited humanity, it was usually something significant, his words. In the modern day world, there are people that are routinely in the media who are classed as being famous simply for being famous. I believe that the obsessive need for fame in today's world is a consequence of one's childhood. And this is where the psychology comes in. On the surface, these people can be judged as attention seekers and as being self-centred. While this is an appropriate description, I believe that we are seeing in the emergence of one's wounded inner child. And this child is craving all the things that it didn't have. Take, thank you, Tony. I was waiting for an usher to go around, I'll take care of it. <laughs> you dealt with it much more subtly. <laughs> you can imagine one of it. You can imagine Marco getting up going, it's all right, Pastor, I'll, I'll take care of it. Goes to the murk, opens up the boot. <laughs> you see how my mind works at times? And next thing while I'm trying to think you can get rid of that horrible duck sound, we hear, Boom! <laughs> All right, come on, come back, come back into the room. So this guy's saying that there are some people and their, their pursuit of fame is, is, has crossed a line. It's actually really, really, really unhealthy. Now, if I was to ask you, what is the most watched video clip on YouTube? Before you answer, let me give you the answer. When I mentioned it, that I was going to show it to Josh, Josh suddenly broke out because he knows every Justin Bieber song. He just immediately broke out into the song, Baby, 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 baby. 
Ooh, <laughs> which was the most watched YouTube clip up until a little while ago. 1.2 billion people have watched that clip. Do you realize that's a sixth of the world's population? One in six have watched Josh G's idol do <laughs> this song. But now he's been pipped. Poor Justin. <laughs> and now we have... Josh apparently knows this one as well and is prepared to do a private rendition after. <laughs> anyway, that, that 2.2 billion people on planet Earth have gone to YouTube, 2.2 and 1 have gone, have, and in fact, I watched that clip for the first time yesterday. I've, I had heard about the phenomenon, but I'd never seen it. I don't know why, it's like I only had books to read and things to do, so I don't know what's wrong with me. But anyway, this brings me, when we're talking about something famous, to some, something that's so famous you probably carry it around with you most of the time. It's an Australian 20-cent piece. The Australian 20-cent piece. All right, let's see. Here we go. And the reason I bring this up is because, according to most sources, the most famous person in the world today is Queen Elizabeth II. Recognised in more countries around the world than Beyonce Knowles, shock horror, Justin Bieber, or that fellow there whose name is P.S.Y. Psy. Um, got no idea who that guy was apart from the fact that he's Korean. And the song is mostly in Korean with a little bit in English and apparently just got a... I don't know, it's like... Anyway. Now, I actually went on Wikipedia because someone's written an article on the phenomenon of YouTube videos and I thought, well, I don't want to go through all the YouTube videos there are and some, I'll let someone else do it. So they did. And the first 100 of the most popular of YouTube videos are all music clips all music clips you actually have to go a long way down the list to find a non-music clip youtube phenomenon that's made someone famous and you come to a couple where it's it's usually someone's finger they've got a famous finger tickling a kitten and the kitten goes and Hundreds of millions of people have watched this mindless um, this <laughs> video on a kitten being tickled. Then you go another long way down the list and you come to two little baby boys where one of them says, I don't know what he says, but anyway, it's two cute little baby boys. And this is what is capturing the attention of the world today. I want to highlight this with what it used to take to be famous. So let's play a little game, shall we? Who am I? 
This man had a deep faith in the God of the Bible, Jesus of Nazareth. He believed the Bible was divinely inspired. He invented calculus. He invented the reflecting telescope. He coined the word gravity. He mathematically proved the Roman Catholic Church to be incorrect regarding their geocentrism, that is, that the earth stands still and everything revolves around the earth, orbits around the earth. And he proved beyond all doubt the facts of heliocentrism, that is, the sun is there and the earth and all the other planets orbit around the sun. He proved that that is what is happening mathematically. He explained why and how every large body in the universe, all the planets and stars and galaxies and solar, various solar systems, how they move and why they move and where they move. And he established mechanical engineering principles upon which 95% of all engineering done today are based on his calculations. Who am I? Isaac Newton, thank you very much. So according to Google, Sir Isaac Newton has um, over a million people per month look him up on Google. 400,000 books have been written about Sir Isaac Newton. That puts you in the category of long-term famous. So here's this guy. He's the 10th most famous person who has ever lived, Sir Isaac Newton. And there's some of his attributes. He lived from 1642 to 1727. All right, so this just sets it up for fame because now when we come to Ecclesiastes, we are looking at someone that the Bible describes as famous. My recollection, my understanding of Scripture is that there are three people who are attributed in the Bible as having fame and Solomon is one of them his father David was another and we'll see the other one in just a moment so in Ecclesiastes 1:16, Solomon says this I said in my heart I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge he's saying I'm the greatest person who's ever lived. No one has ever surpassed me for ability or wisdom. So you can see, humility was not one of his major traits. This man was very, very sure of himself. Now, he didn't start out like this, by the way. And in fact, the, the reason he became like this is because God endowed him with great wisdom and great wealth because he was initially humble. Now, there's a whole other thing there about how to handle fame. And I wish for some of you here fame, but I don't wish it for you all because for most of you, it would be your ruin. It would destroy you. We read in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 1 about his fame. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon... She came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions, having a very great retinue, that is, servants and guards and soldiers and people to wait on her, and camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, 
She told him all that was on her mind. I really just wanted to point out to you that she had heard of his fame and she was, she was in the middle of Africa and she, she's heard about this man. Jesus says that, the, that there were two very important visitors that came to Solomon. Jesus just mentions it. It wasn't the main point of what he was saying. But he said Solomon and all his fame who had the Queen of Sheba and the Queen of the South. So there's at least a couple of queens who, who came because of Solomon's fame. So he was a very famous man. So he says in chapter 2 verse 9, so now we're in the second chapter, where again he repeats this statement. No one is better than me at anything. Uh, let me put it the way he put it. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So here's a man who became famous for several reasons. And here are some of those reasons. The first one we've read already, his wisdom. He became incredibly wise. But here's the thing. He didn't find that he was able to use his wisdom for anything significant. Now, here's one of the things that I want to help you to come to understand. A life of significance is a life where you help other people. If all you are doing is living this life for the marrow you can squeeze out of the bone, the juice you can squeeze out of the fruit, you are not living a significant life. You are living a self-centered, selfish life. The direct opposite of significance. So Solomon did not find significance in wisdom. He should have. He should have. But he didn't. God has given you gifts too. God gave Solomon the gift of wisdom. God has given you gifts. Are you using those gifts that God has given you significantly? Are you using those things that God has given you to bless others? God has given you technology, resources, a degree of wealth. Are you using it to bless someone else? The greatest man of his day who had ever lived didn't. He had great wealth, great wisdom, and he didn't use it to bless others. He says, then I said in my heart, Ecclesiastes 2.15, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this is vanity, or another word for vanity, pointless. It's pointless to be wise, said Solomon. You know what? It is if all you're going to do is be selfish about it. If all you're going to do is figure out what you can get out of it through your gift of wisdom. Yeah, life is vanity. It is pointless. Ecclesiastes 6, um, 6, 8, sorry, it says this, For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? So he says this several times. I see no advantage in being wise. So this is written, this is written toward the end of his life. In fact, this is probably, I'm guessing, months before he died, maybe even weeks before he died. And he's writing this, looking back at it, looking back over his life, over the, the, the 40 or so years that he was king. And he's going, you know, 10 or so years into me being king, I just thought, what is the point? And this is where he's at. So he's telling, 
his story, that he really did not see a point. Solomon also became famous for his phenomenal wealth. Unbelievable wealth. It says in 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 9.22, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. But you know what? With all that money, think about it. What could you do with a million dollars? Well, imagine you had it coming in every week for 40 years. What good could you do with it? I think the answer is a lot. Or the answer might be great. You could do great good with that kind of wealth. What did he do with it? He threw banquets. He enlarged his palace. He bought slaves. He planted vineyards so he could have more wine to get more drunk on. That's what he did with his great wealth. We saw last week as we looked at success, that some people have been phenomenally successful and for them success is measured in wealth. And we saw one NBA player, Anton Walker, he, through, his, through his 10-year basketball career, he earned $110 million. Three years after he retired, he was bankrupt. He had none of it. You just think, my goodness me. I, I, look, if, you, if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I've got $110 million to give away, I'm, I, would, I would be a worthy recipient of it. <laughs> you know why I would? Because I've thought about how could I use great wealth significantly. At one point, I'll, t- I'll tell you now, I'm digressing, not in my notes. I had on my whiteboard this idea that one day someone was going to walk in and say, here's a brown paper bag, I might give it to you. It's got $2 million in it. I just want to know, I'm a committed Christian, but I'm lousy strategically. I really don't know how to spread the gospel very far and effectively. Tell me, I'll give you this $2 million if you could tell me how you could make the biggest difference for Christ with this $2 million. So I actually thought this through. I had it on my whiteboard on a column. I drew a column on my whiteboard and I had a list of things I would do if someone gave me $2 million. And at the end of it, I had a dot point. It said, and I'll pray for the rest. So what would you do with a significant amount of money? I'll tell you what the answer is. You would do exactly the same as you're doing with the money you've got now. Don't wait. All of the things on my board, I thought, I don't have to wait, do I? When I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm just sharing a little bit of my heart here. When... When the board of YFM came to me four years ago, nearly five now, came to me and said, um, we, we are about to close YFM because we cannot make it work financially. Do you reckon you could do something with it? I said, man, absolutely. You, you mean you've got a vehicle that gets me into, according to the EMRS poll, 18,000 people every week in Launceston. It gets me into their ears. And you want to close it down? No way. Let's make it work. So, that's one of the reasons why I took advantage of that. And YFM's going great now. Please grab a YFM bumper sticker on the way out and help us to broadcast YFM. We want more people listening to YFM because they're going to hear the gospel. All right. So, he didn't, Solomon didn't find significance in his wealth. He says in 
chapter 6 and verse 2. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honour so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's also a grievous evil. So you get all this money and you don't get to exploit all the pleasure you can get out of it. You die. Ah, what's the point of being wealthy? That's what he's saying. You can see how this man has a very distorted perspective on reality. Solomon also became famous for his work, his works, what he did. He built huge buildings. He planted entire forests. He planted huge vineyards. He built roads. He built ships. He did some phenomenal things. He says this in chapter 2, verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. And he lists all the other things that he did. Great works. A lot of people turn to their work to find significance. And I get that. For some men whose home life is not great, they find a great sense of significance in being able to go to work and have people respect them. I get that. I've spoken with men who have been in a home life where they have not felt respected by their wife. So they will spend more time at work than they need to because at least there they're getting some respect. I understand men who think like that, but can I tell you, at the end of the day, it's empty. It's utterly empty. And King Solomon says so. He says that in, in all his work, he realised, I do all these things, and then one day I'm going to die and someone else will get them and they didn't do anything to earn them. This is stupid, all that I've done. It's vanity. So he was unfulfilled in his wisdom, in his wealth and in his work. Completely unfulfilled. I want to contrast him with... I could have gone through the list and told you the 10 most famous people. The 10 most famous people, the number nine is um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, an amazing man. Uh, Number eight is William Shakespeare... Um, to be or thank you a little bit slow but it means you un- you've heard it it's, it's little expressions that have come into the English language as dead as a door nail these are all things that Shakespeare invented no one had ever heard it before he said it he invented them so he's very famous and number seven the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul seventh most famous person that's ever lived and then you go through the list and you've got uh, number six is Gautama Buddha Siddhartha Gautama Buddha Uh, number number five um, I think is uh, uh, Moses then you've got uh, Abraham then you come down to number two and it's Muhammad although Google says they can't verify that because Apparently, you're not allowed to depict him, and as, as the French have found out. And uh, you're not allowed to write a book with his name on the cover, so they don't know how many books have been written about him. But here's the two criteria they use to figure out who is the most famous person. How many Google searches a month? And this person receives 24 million searches a month. And... The number of books written about them numbers in the one uh, over hundreds, hundreds of millions of books have been written about them. And in fact, 
easily more books have been written about this person than any other person ever. Yet here's the strange thing, and this is going to shock a whole generation today. This person never recorded a song. They never invented a dance move. And they never tickled a kitten. I can't verify the last one. (laughs) Yet. So Jesus' fame, it says in Matthew 4.24, spread throughout all Syria... And they brought him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So the fame of Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 4, not Matthew chapter 24. In other words, this is very early on in his ministry. Jesus became famous. Now here is, if we were to look at the way Jesus handled fame compared to how Solomon handled fame, with Jesus' fame, it was, not the gain. it was not the goal for him. He was not craving people's attention. I see too many people today craving attention. It's unhealthy. In fact, Jesus, when he got what he considered to be too much attention, you only have to read through the Gospel of Luke to read things like this. Jesus withdrew from the crowd, as was his habit. It says, at night, Jesus went for a walk to pray all night by himself, as he often did. When the crowds became too vast, Jesus got got in a boat and said to his disciples, let's get out of here, let's go to the other side. Jesus was not craving fame. But the gifts that the Father had given him, he used, and that verse is a great verse to highlight it. He used what God had given him and the fame to bless others. What has God given you that you can use to bless others? There are some here and you should write a thoughtful blog every day. You should. There are some people here and you should write a book. There are some people here today and you need to see the world differently. You need to go and talk to David Stallard and buy a camera. I'm serious. I'm, well, I'm kind of serious. You need to... Some people, all they, their whole world vision is their navel. They're so busy looking at themselves and their own little problems. I'll tell you, one of the things that has helped me having a camera is you begin to see what you normally miss. Some people need to think, how can I bless someone else? That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus' significance did not come from him being famous. He didn't say to his disciples, you guys go into the dinner party and just, just I'll, I'll make an entrance. He didn't do that. He didn't do it. In fact, he, he did everything the book says not to do. And yet, he is today the most famous person who has ever lived. If you think significance in life, finding out what life is all about, comes from you becoming famous, history tells us you're wrong. You're very wrong. And here's what the most famous person who's ever lived said about life and its point. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits 
his soul. That word soul, suke. Suke. I mentioned today, I don't know how many soul doctors we have in our city, but we have a heap more than we had 20 years ago. In other words, there are enough people in our city who have wounded, hurt, aching souls. And Jesus said, you could take that ache with you into eternity if you don't get this right. What shall a man give in return for his soul? Luke 8, 14, Jesus said, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, those things which they think will bring them fame, and their fruit does not mature so it's the cares of the world the applause of the world that can choke the living daylights out of you if you let it and jesus said don't so here's the question you can live like solomon live for yourself live for pleasure live to work hard live for wealth live to be famous or you could live like jesus doing a lot of in fact John tells us, the end of his gospel, most of what Jesus did, I haven't even told you about. He says it like this, if I was to tell you everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. In other words, most of what Jesus did was done quietly and in secret and not a lot of people knew about it. So the next time you do something and you get all sooky and sulky and think, why didn't someone come and pat me on the back? Don't do that. Be like Jesus. Look to the applause of your father, not the applause of the crowd. Does this make sense to anyone? I'm not preaching to you, am I? I'm preaching to the person beside you, aren't I? Please, let's get our focus right of what brings significance. Is your life focused on the right things? That ache in your soul, where is it taking you? Are you focused on the right things let's pray jesus there are some of us here and our compass has been skewed our gps needs to go back to the shop we need recalibrating we need our soul to be focused on you god there are some here today and they've lost their way there are some listening to me now and they have missed your will for their lives because they've put themselves in the driver's seat. And Father, you want us to take the passenger seat. And so now, Lord, we ask, will you please come and be the Lord of our lives? For those of us who know Christ, who name the name of Christ, who say Jesus is our Lord, help us from this point on to dedicate our lives to live significant lives. Lives that help others, lives that bless others if you're here today just in these closing moments and you've never surrendered to jesus christ you've never given your life to christ can i invite you to do that now it's it starts with a prayer it starts with a prayer that something like this jesus please forgive me i've done wrong cleanse me wash me give me a brand new start fill me with your holy spirit and help me to start again, I want to be a Christian.
I want to follow you. Help me to do your will, I pray. Amen.